Momentarily for class solidarity, cash circulating, give the masses back its currency. Greed from elites, oligarchs, stay fed, deep state, faith fed, everybody break bread. Racism, homophobia, sexism, religion in this melting pot. We live in time to build a new system, unionize labor rights, highlight the issue. Talking heads left is best. The saga continues, continues. The No Miki Show. Welcome to the Nomiki Show. I am Nomiki Konst. It is Femme Friday, May 21st. There is a simple reason why Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy are trying to kill the creation of an independent commission to investigate the January 6th insurrection. Think about it. If you had made a pact with the devil and then the devil came up behind you and wreaked havoc on you and everyone around you, leaving five people dead, would you want a full and independent exploration of how that happened? Of course not. Well, that is exactly what happened January 6th. And Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy and most congressional Republicans made a pact with the devil. They traded their political souls to embrace the devil's lie, the devil known to you as Donald J. Trump. Like most Faustian bargains, the devil came calling to collect. The moment was when Donald Trump told his followers to march on the Capitol and stop the Congress from validating the election of Joe Biden. Stop the steal, Trump demanded. Except that there had been no steal, not any steal. The election was not just fair, it was a triumph of voter participation. Trump's supporters and his opponents turned out in record numbers. And of course, Biden beat Trump. And Mitch McConnell knew it, and Kevin McCarthy knew it, and they've acknowledged it. But Trump could not stop lying. And then they collaborated. And we all know what that led to. Trump supporters stormed the Capitol and among other atrocities, went searching for the vice president to kidnap or murder him for doing his constitutional duty to preside over the electoral vote count. As a national nightmare, this is right up there with the assassination of JFK or the attacks on 9-11. Both were explored by both were explored by independent bipartisan commissions. 9-11 Commission has become a model, a modern day model of how to attempt to heal a deep wound by sharing the truth, even in a partisan environment. In that spirit, two honest legislators, one Democrat and one Republican, agreed to create a bipartisan commission, equal numbers of Republicans and Democrats, to dig in to the January 6th insurrection and report back by the end of this year. Their plan passed the House earlier this week with 35 Republicans voting for it. 35 Republicans who may have remembered when these people stormed their offices and stole their things and threatened to kill them. But now Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy are fighting the agreement. McConnell has warned Republican senators that this commission could be a Trojan horse concealing Democratic plots to keep Republicans from taking back Congress next year. Okay. Uh, he's urging Republicans to kill the commission in the Senate. But McConnell's challenge in next year's election is not the commission. It is the truth that this commission would highlight. McConnell and McCarthy don't want us talking about their pact with the devil that produced the insurrection, that incited the insurrection, which is why the majority leader in the House, Denny Hoyer, 
called the effort to kill the commission a cover-up. This is about our democracy. This is about an insurrection that was instigated and undertaken to stop the counting of votes for president of the United States in America. It was a profound event. And we need a commission composed of equal numbers, as we've done, as McCarthy asked for, with equal authority about subpoenas, that there have to be agreement on subpoenas. Uh, that's what McCarthy asked for. The only thing that, that McCarthy didn't get, and McConnell, I don't know what McConnell wanted or didn't want, uh, was to look at a lot of other things to distract and dissemble and to diminish the focus on this insurrection uh, that occurred, stopping the counting of votes for President of the United States. Uh, so I think it's, it, frankly, it's a cover-up. Uh, it's fear of what the truth might be. It's a hear no evil, see no evil. Uh, approach uh, to uh, January 6th, which was a profound, tragic event in American history, a unique uh, event in American history. And we need to look at, at, at all the facets of it so that we do not allow it to happen again. Donald Trump is a stain on our country and a stain on the Republican Party, not already stained Republican Party. The only way to remove that stain is to acknowledge the truth of what happened. And they won't even acknowledge that, let alone investigate it. And for Donald Trump's collaborators to face the reality and come clean, the commission is a fair way to tell the truth and seek reconciliation for what we have left of our democracy. But killing the commission does just the opposite. The devil is out of the office, but he still has this clause buried deep in Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell. And I will let them worry about their own souls, but I am worried about our country. We cannot have a two-party system and one party desperately pandering to a radical small fringe by embracing lies and fake narratives and using gerrymandering to keep that fringe together. But that is what is happening right now. The insurrectionists are not this country. They're not even conservatives in America. Yet the Republicans are trying to bury an honest commission to avoid outing this piece of their base and their connection to it. There is an even scarier example right now. The Republican pandering to their base, the same base, the anti-vaxxers, the anti-COVID deniers is going to get people killed. I was on Fox News last night explaining that progressives have been unequivocal in our fight against Big Pharma. Big Pharma brought us the opioid epidemic. Big Pharma said that they needed big profits to pay for research and then spent those profits on marketing and stock buybacks and shareholders. Big Pharma will make a lot of money from the COVID-19 vaccines. Big Pharma has earned our skepticism. And I'm glad that the right suddenly sees this, unless it's an excuse. The way that Bernie Sanders and Katie Porter have seen this for a long time. But that does not mean that vaccines against COVID-19 do not work. And they only get better if they invest more in research and development. And the right campaign, but the right campaign against the vaccine, the rights campaign, excuse me, against the vaccines is putting politics ahead of our public health. They want to continue this fight against COVID. They want to drag it out because it's a wedge issue, except it's a wedge issue that puts people at risk. A wedge issue like the January 6th insurrection, like steal, steal the vote. That was a wedge issue that put our democracy at risk and the lives of our lawmakers, including the vice president, at risk. 
This is a wedge issue that puts the global health at risk. Yet holding the two thoughts of, of holding Big Pharma accountable for big profits and saying, oh my God, science works. It just seemed to be too much, too much for Fox News last night. Let's show this clip. I think that you on the left have found a very unique time on an emergency use application vaccine that has complete liability protection to switch to all of a sudden have an about face on your trust in big pharma. And I think you did it. I think you did it because I you have, thought it was a win over science. Republicans. That's all. Nothing no. more, nothing no, no. deeper. The Republicans want to keep their base. See, what's happening right now is you guys want to prolong. The pandemic is ending, and you want to keep everybody angry at COVID and the assault on freedom because you have to wear masks. God forbid you have to keep your community safe and your grandmother safe. You want to keep that going because it's been working. I got to run to make you. I want to say alive. two things. I thank you for coming on the yes. program. I always enjoy a spirited thank exchange you. of ideas, and I think that what I'm standing up for tonight is I'll independent Americans <laughs> having the ability to make freedom of choice, specifically on the very intimate decision of what they inject into their bodies. Thank you, Namiki. Really? There are so many things progressives and conservatives now agree on. The threat of big pharma, at least today, is one of those. But the Republican Party's desperate need to polarize, to hold their minority coalition together in the face of reality is endangering our health, both our personal health and our political health. And we need a vaccine for that. We have an amazing show today. It is Fem Friday. We have Hadas Beer and Julia Rock here. But before that, we have Sumeya Awad, who's going to talk about the situation in Palestine. She has written the book, the tutorial on Palestine. We will be right back after this break with Sumeya. excited and honored to have Sumeya Awad join us today. She is the co-editor of Palestine, a socialist introduction from Haymarket Books, and she is director of strategy at the Dala Justice Center. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm really just uh, very grateful to you and, and just so you know you're on mute. Okay. Thanks so much for having me. It's really great to be back. So this is a, um, what day are we on now? Day 11, 12 of, of, of the continue, well, there's a ceasefire, but let's let's start with that. What is what does a ceasefire look like? What, what's the reality of that? How did it how did it happen behind the scenes, as far as you know? Well, I mean, the first thing to say is that this ceasefire just means that Israel stopped its carpet bombing of uh, Gaza of Gaza. It doesn't mean that it's stopped its blockade on Gaza. It doesn't mean that it stopped the police brutality we're seeing right now in Jerusalem happened just today, despite the ceasefire. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't mean that it's. Uh, ended its occupation of any of the Palestinian cities and towns and villages that is uh, continuing to occupy or that it's ceased its control of Palestinian people or its oppression. So it's actually a very, very small um, win in the grand scheme of things, which is that it's just not bombing uh, Palestinian families um, every day, nonstop, day and night. Um, so that's the first thing. I think that the reason the ceasefire happened is because of actually the resistance that Palestinians put up. The fact that there were protests across Palestine, across occupied Palestine, which hasn't actually happened in decades, where in Gaza, in Jerusalem, in the West Bank, um, in 48, occupied Palestinian cities in Israel rose up together with a unified call um, saying, we demand the end to the settler colonial project. We demand our freedom, our liberation from the river, from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, which is all of Palestine, mm -hmm. which is what Israel mm -hmm. colonized in 1948 and is continuing to colonize today. So I think it's their resistance that pressured Israel. I think it's the protests we saw here in the US across the country 
where hundreds of thousands of people rose up. And I think all of this also pressured Congress to act. So the, the uh, resolution that was brought to the House by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Rashida Tlaib, and Mark Pocan, saying we want to stop this latest arms deal, this $735 million in weapons to Israel, we want to stop that. And Bernie Sanders just yesterday um, introduced a company uh, with, a, with a motion that was brought to the Senate floor and that now the Senate has to vote on. I think all of this was pressure on Israel to, to agree to a ceasefire. Um, and, 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 and of course, Netanyahu has been exacerbated. He, he's worried about his own political situation. Um, so there are these political forces that we've talked a lot about on the show in terms of the dynamics that have led to this recent uh, set of attacks that, you know, to any sane person seems out of, he seems out of his mind. He, you know, the fact that this sophisticated military that has advanced weaponry that can, you know, knows exactly who they're targeting, uh, thinks it's totally fine to, it's not fine to, to bomb anybody, let's just be very clear, but in, in the political context, it's fine to bomb journalists because, you know, it, it's, the, the arguments are, are, they're not being, the, the, the old stale arguments are not being bought by the general public and the political community now. But it seems as if he's only pushing that far, not because he's completely out of touch, but because his own situation in his own country is so, uh, is so tenuous. Do you think that Netanyahu will get through this and, and, and that this situation um, with the ceasefire, was it a Band-Aid? Is, it, is he just going to kind of uh, weather this crisis and continue on, but, but scale back a little bit? I mean, did you see what I'm saying here? Like, yeah. is this a tipping point or is it really just like they're going to they're gonna do whatever they can to get through um, and then continue on? So I think it was definitely a defeat for Netanyahu. Um, and... Uh, that's why people like Israelis, Jewish Israelis are frustrated and are angry because this was a defeat. And it's happening at a time where right now in Israel, the, the Israeli population is increasingly right wing. And that's really saying something, right? Because it's a settler colonial state. So, you know, the settlers are right wing because of the nature of, of what they're doing there. The fact that they're on this colonized land and uh, participating in this colonization project, but they're increasingly right wing and unabashedly so. So there is no left in Israel anymore. It's, it's so small, whatever anti-Zionist formations exist, that they don't actually have any power or any sway. And I think what that means is Netanyahu has been trying to figure out how to respond and keep this right wing happy. And that's part of the reason why um, he uh, bombed Gaza. Part of the reason why the police brutality we're seeing in Jerusalem, uh, in Haifa, in Lid, and in the occupied West Bank has, has really increased. The fact, like you were saying, they're shooting journalists, like point blank. They're shooting journalists on TV, like, you know, the journalist is recording as they're being shot. Um, or in Gaza, that they uh, shot down, or they bombed this media tower, um, that they bombed roads leading to hospitals. Um, I think it all shows this crisis that's actually unfolding in Israel. Um, and what Netanyahu's going to do, and Benny Gantz, his his rival, although they both agreed about the bombing in, in Gaza, I actually think that we, we're, we're going to have to see what happens because they have one of two choices. One is that internally it's going to fall apart, Israeli society is going to fall apart, and it's going to um, allow for this opening of Palestinian resistance and unified mm -hmm. Palestinian resistance, but that will come at a cost. Already 200 people have died in Gaza. Already um, a 17-year-old was shot and killed during protests in Umm al-Fahim. Um, 17 years old, shot in the head. So they knew what they were doing. Um, so I think I think uh, it's going to become more right wing and Palestinians are going to pay a price, but it also means that there's going to be uh, renewed resistance. Um, and I think there's this 
uh, awakening that's happening where these Palestinian youth are really leading the charge. It's not connected to the Palestinian Authority, to the PLO. It's not connected to any particular political party or so-called Palestinian leadership. It's actually just Palestinians on the ground. And then of course, in the diaspora, organizing and, and pushing uh, for our liberation. Um, staying on politics for a second, uh, what is the dynamic right now between um, the PLO and the people of Palestine? I mean, there's the, 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 the talking points, uh, the, the, <laughs> we, we know that there's there's a heavy uh, leaning towards, you know, the, the propaganda that's coming out. Um, so let's just, just let's 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 like give people tools. What what is really going on? What is, you know, are the Palestinian people uh, in what, what are the political dynamics internally, I guess, is 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 the best question to dismantle the talking points. So I think there's actually no trust in the Palestinian Authority right now um, by Palestinians, or at least the majority of Palestinians. There's definitely, uh, the Palestinian Authority does not have a popular mandate in any way, shape, or form. And that's actually part of the reason that they canceled the elections that were supposed to happen in May. Um, that were supposed to happen around now, actually, that were canceled. It's because they know they wouldn't win, uh, mm. that the, the parties in place, Fatah, would not win. Um, and it's because they're so corrupt. Um, they take a lot of the the funding that comes in. You know, there's this whole NGO complex that is just disastrous and has been disastrous for the majority of Palestinians who are workers, who are refugees in Palestine. Um, and they also coordinate and cooperate with Israeli security agencies to detain Palestinians, um, uh, surveillance, um, and otherwise. And that's why in Sheikh Jarrah, which was sort of the center of what triggered what we've seen in the last two weeks, when um, a, a member of the PA was going to come visit, um, a sort of like a, a political figure, mm -hmm. the, the community in Sheikh Jarrah said, we don't want anyone that cooperates with the Israeli security to visit us. Um, and they actually released a statement about that. Mm -hmm. And this is, uh, this is really, really important because it's, it's this new chapter in Palestinian resistance. And as the, the strike that was organized on Tuesday this week, um, the, the, the unity intifada is what it was called, um, where over 2 million Palestinians uh, participated um, in their manifesto that they released, they specifically said, this is Palestinians on the ground across Palestine rising up together. Um, this is a new awakening. This is a new chapter. We don't want to uh, work with, apologize, or justify um, the actions of the so-called Palestinian leadership that have been speaking on our behalf, that are trying to fragment us, that are working with the Israeli occupation. And I think this is, uh, this is a really, really, really important shift. Um, and I think really does signify that we're in a new moment. That's incredible. Um, okay, so so right now, uh, people have seen the maps of of how much of 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 Palestine has been taken over by Israel over the last uh, seventy or so years. Um, how much has happened in the last since Netanyahu has been in power? Since Netanyahu has been in power, settlement expansion in the West Bank um, has gone up by several tens of thousands, mm -hmm. um, and so have. So has the the uh, the brutality against Palestinians in the occupied West Bank, um, in terms of um, um, the number of people dying, the the olive groves set on fire, the fact that settlers are emboldened to do whatever they want, knowing there are no consequences, knowing no one will really be held accountable, um, and things will just stall in these. Um, hollow, um, uh, you know, fake investigations. In some ways, like what happens in the U.S. sometimes um, after a, a police uh, officer uh, murders a, a black or a brown uh, person in this country, there's these investigations that go on and on. Um, so it's it's similar to that. And then, of course, in um, in Israel, Palestinian citizens of Israel continue to be um, forced 
into uh, second class citizenship, you know, they don't have any rights. And I think all of this has actually been entrenched. And the blockade on Gaza has been entrenched. Um, Netanyahu has been in power for the majority of the time that the blockade has been on Gaza. Mm. Um, and I don't think that's a coincidence. But it's also important to note that Netanyahu is not an anomaly, that this has actually been what Israel's uh, state project has been for 73 plus years. It's been 73 years of Israel trying to erase Palestinians, uh, literally to just wipe them off that map that we see floating around everywhere now on Twitter. Um, they're not trying to have them assimilate, not at all. They're not trying to have them adapt. They're not trying to just bring them in. They're actually just trying to erase the Palestinian identity. Um, and of course the US is complicit in all of this because of the funding um, that it gives Israel, because of the Israel lobby in the US and the power of that, because of the arms industry that the US uh, profits from. Um, and that's why the shifts right now we're seeing in the media where Palestinians are able to talk um, in their own voice about what's happening to them is actually pretty huge. Um, whereas before, anytime you mentioned Palestine or Palestinians, you had to qualify it. You couldn't oh just God. talk about it openly. And before, when we say before, I mean, this is like a year ago, not even a year ago. It was, it was it's incredible to see this shift. It's incredible um, to see, you know, Rashida Tlaib in Congress speaking personally about her experience, her family's experience. So we have an opportunity right now to, to talk to a left audience about what it's like to live in Gaza. Can you explain sort of the conditions um, in this situation, like as, as, as the bombs were coming in, but also, I mean, we've, I've seen stories, friends who have had personal stories where their family members have traded kids in their households to, to pre protect the line of, I mean, so during these conditions, the last, you know, 11 days, what, what have people had to go through? Where, is there any place safe to go? What are some of the, the stories that you're hearing? So the first thing I'll say is, um, you know, for anyone listening, there are so many people in Gaza that have been reporting from the ground on Twitter about their daily life experiences. And one person to follow that I think can link to a lot of these people, his name is Jihad Abu Salim. Look him up, follow him. Um, but some of the stories that were coming out of Gaza, the first thing is that uh, Israel was, was uh, bombing blindly insofar as there was no actual target. Anywhere was a target. Um, and this is a state, this is, you know, one of the strongest um, uh, uh, tech, they're very equipped technologically. They can do precision strikes if they wanted to. Instead, they're shooting all these, or they're bombing all these residential buildings, carpet bombing is what you call it, because they just level entire neighborhoods, entire neighborhoods gone. Um, roads to hospitals, um, killing doctors, um, killing men and women and children. I think this is also important to mention. It's not women, just just children and women that are being killed and that we should be shocked and horrified by, but also the men that are killed. There's this uh, Islamophobia that goes around that, you know, it's it's more, it's it's less okay if it's a woman or a child, but it's more okay if it's a man. Um, and I think this is part of feeding into this narrative of what is Hamas and Hamas is everywhere in Gaza and that that's why it's sometimes okay to bomb certain buildings and not others as opposed to, no, we should be against all the bombing that's happening in Gaza because Gaza is under blockade, it's under occupation, yeah. it's a settler colonial project. And any talk of resistance that Palestinians put up, um, no matter if we agree with it strategically, any of the resistance they put up has to be understood in the context of occupation. If someone comes to your home um, and takes it over and then brings some random family member from across the ocean and says, hey, this is our home now, you're gonna resist. Of course you're gonna resist. Um, we're human beings, we, we have the right to resist when our freedom is taken away from us. And it's, it's the only organic and natural thing to do is to resist. And that's what people are doing. Um, in terms of the, the things you were mentioning, Namiki, one of the things that was going around was 
Palestinians tr trading children. And what that means is like a Palestinian um, um, and, and like, let's say like me and my brother and me and my sister and we both have kids. I'd, I'd give you two of my kids, you'd give me two of yours so that if I died with my family, at least some of my kids are still alive and vice versa. Um, and also people wrote about how, you know, there's been three major attacks on Gaza before this one, 2009, 2012, and 2014. And in 2014 in particular, it lasted 51 consecutive days. And a lot of people were thinking this was going to be just like that uh, before the mm -hmm. ceasefire was announced. Um, but during the, the first few days of the bombing last week, some people in, in Palestinian Gaza went on Twitter and were writing how there was a 20 uh, minute interval that they said was worse than the last three attacks on Gaza combined. And that's just because the number of bombs, where it was bombing, the types of weapons they're, they're using, we actually still don't know the details about these new weapons that they might be using, new bombs that they might be using. Um, so I think all of this just shows that Israel is, is equipped technologically, um, you know, leading in all of this in, in, in the world. And in Gaza, it's Palestinians trying to survive and trying to resist um, this ongoing occupation for 73 years. And just to be clear, if you live in Gaza and you're Palestinian, you have nowhere to go. You have nowhere, nowhere to escape. go. Nowhere to go. Um, how about the conditions in terms of just outside of, of, of when uh, Israel is attacking? What is it like, you know, in terms of water supply? What is it like to be able to move around? I mean, just what is it? How, do, how does someone survive in Gaza on a day to day basis? I mean, that's that's the thing. It's that's the question is like, how long can can Palestinians survive like this when um, imports and exports are severely restricted? Um, really uh, random things are put on lists uh, that on blacklists. Israel says these can't be imported in. So, for example, in 2014, when the bombings happened, when 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 Israel um, led this 51 day assault on Gaza, um, uh, a large percentage of Gaza's infrastructure was completely um, uh, dismantled, completely ruined. I mean, just raised to the ground. And the construction supplies that you need to rebuild that, Israel wouldn't allow them in because they said they're going to be used to make bombs. Um, and so it's like you level this entire um, area of land where 2 million Palestinians are living. It's one of the most densely populated places on earth. Um, and then you say, we're not going to give you the material. We're not going to allow you to rebuild it. And we're just going to keep bombing you um, every few years. Um, and then, yeah, there, there's the one of the main water um, water uh, sanitation, sanitation plants was bombed. Um, so there's very, very little clean drinking water. Um, uh, they rely a lot on the agriculture that exists there. But again, every time there's a bombing campaign and with the lack of water, it means there's very little food um, that they can rely on um, to to um to survive and and to i mean more to survive just to like go through everyday life and all the while any sort of funding that people can send um has to go through all sorts of hoops because the u.s continues to label a lot of the the funds raised for palestinians as support for terrorism and i think this all goes back to the war on terror rhetoric uh the islamophobia and how israel and the u.s use that to justify the the ongoing oppression of palestinians and one thing i'll add too is just that what Palestinians have been really clear about in the last few weeks is that, of course, funds are important, especially in Gaza, where, um, uh, you know, for hospitals and, and, and for other things, you need funds to rebuild that. You need funds for the machines that you that you need for people to survive, et cetera. But also Palestinians are saying our cause is not a humanitarian cause. Our cause is a political cause. It's about ending occupation. It's about ending settler colonialism. And that means the main ask, especially of people in the United States, is to end US funding for what Israel is doing, to end funding for apartheid, to end funding for, for the oppression that they're facing. 
Um, and that's and that's why um, that's why this this motion to block the seven hundred thirty five million dollars to Israel um, is really really important. And that's why HR twenty five ninety, the Palestinian Families and Children Act, is also really important because it says you can't use U.S. funds for home demolitions. You can't use U.S. funds for land theft. Um, or for the detention of children. It's so basic. It's it's so basic and it's enraging that this is our starting point, that we have to convince people that Palestinians deserve to live, that they just deserve to live and deserve to keep their homes and not have a settler from Brooklyn move in and tell them, actually, this is my home. You and your grandmother, who's been here for 70 years, need to leave. What's interesting to me, and, and I'm not advocating for this, but I'm thinking in terms of, of, of why why so cruel is if they had opened up Gaza just a bit, so so ref, if you're bombing and, and you don't have water supply and you're losing land and it's 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 becoming more and more um, unlivable. I'm sitting here on the island of Puerto Rico right now, and I can tell you this is exactly what's happening here. Puerto Ricans uh, every, every Today, Puerto Ricans are finding it that it's it's more and more difficult to live here because of austerity, because of the crises after crises after crises, and yet rich people are coming in, you know, taking it over. But there's, I wouldn't go as far to say refugee crisis, but there is, well, there was at one point, but there is a, a diaspora that's growing, um, you know, leaving for opportunity. What I don't understand is if, 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 if their goal is just to take over the territory, why not go that route instead of literally bombing the hell out of, I mean, it is cruel. It is absolutely, as people said, it's a genocide. And if you have a goal to take over the land, there are many strategies to get to that goal. I'm not in favor of any of them. Let me make that very clear. But why the genocide route? Well, I think when it comes to Gaza at this point, actually, I think Israel wishes that Gaza just didn't exist. Um, I don't think they even are concerned with taking that land at this point because they have the coast, they have the fertile land. I think what they want is to quite literally just erase erase it from existence because it's, it's a thorn in Israel's um, neck, it's, it's or side, whatever that phrase is. Um, whereas with the West Bank, it wants to take it all over. Um, and uh, in Israel, all these occupied Palestinian cities, it wants to just erase the Palestinian identity from them um, and, and take it over. And that's why they're expanding all these settlements into the West Bank and they're growing larger and larger. And that's why this, this idea of a two-state solution really is an illusion. It's not, yeah. it's not actually what Israel wants and it's not what Palestinians want because Palestinians want full decolonization um, as, as do any colonized people, as do any oppressed people. They wanna be fully free. They don't wanna be partially free. And they wanna be able to self-determine. Um, where do you think this is gonna go? The international community is growing more Angry Biden's feeling the pressure from different angles. Um, Netanyahu is now feeling the pressure. What, where do we go from here? Well, I think one of the most important things is that we don't uh, we don't let up. That we don't slow down just because there's a ceasefire and act as though okay, now we can just stop. Things are back to normal. That back to normal means actually just ongoing occupation. That's what yeah. back to normal is, and we don't want that. And that right now we have this really critical opportunity where more and more people are waking up and seeing what Israel is and seeing it for what it is and tying the Palestinian struggle for freedom to other struggles, whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it's climate justice, um, imperialism. You said you're in Puerto Rico right now. Um, AOC's speech in Congress yeah. last week where she tied the bombs falling on Gaza to what she heard growing up in Puerto Rico when she would hear the bombs falling uh, from the US military training drills. 
Um, I think all of this is opening up so many opportunities and we need to seize them because they're not going to be around for long. And we need to really push for ending full US funding and for states all around the world, but in particular the US, which is the world's largest um, imperial uh, country, to divest from Israel, to stop doing these deals from Israel, uh, to fully divest, um, to call for sanctions, uh, to boycott Israel, because that's the only way we're going to pressure it to end what it's doing. It's not going to end on its own. We've just seen it become more and more right wing. Last question. Um, there's 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 dance a dance that Netanyahu's um, playing with Russia. Is there fear that Russia could provide the resources that the U.S. may um, potentially, you know, if 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 the U.S. divests, that Russia could provide the resources? I mean, you know, all options are on the table. I think that because of the role of the U.S. right now, if we were able to fully uh, defund Israel and, and stop the, this flow of money from the U.S. in particular, that that would reverberate with states all around the world and would pressure even big states like Russia not to do this because it wouldn't be profitable uh, for itself. But I also think that as the resistance grows in Palestine, um, the Palestinian resistance is, con is connected to all of these other revolts happening in the mm -hmm. Middle East, that's sort of ebb and flow. And so it's, it's gonna have uh, an effect on Syria, on Jordan, on Lebanon, on Egypt, and here in the US as well on really growing and expanding the left. So I think, I think there's, there's a lot of different options on the table, but I think what we really need to do is take this moment seriously um, and, and push a lot further than we have in the past um, for sanctions and for, for divestment from Israel. Sumayama Awad, thank you so much. This was such a, a, a wonderful conversation. Thank you for being honest and um, open with everything because it's a, a very tough time. And I hope that your family is safe as well and your friends. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Of course. All right. Oh, we have her book. Let's go, go check out Sumaya's book. Um, it is called, she's a co-editor of Palestine and Socialist Introduction from Haymarket Books. And she's the director of strategy at the Adala Justice Project. Go check out her book. Uh, she writes for Jacobin. Check it out. Yes. At Haymarket. Go buy it at Haymarket. Um, all right. Guys, I hate to move to an ad, but this is, uh, this is real stuff. There's a reason why the companies that support us support us. They have courage. And Sunset Lake CBD in particular is one of those companies that does not is not afraid of advertising in shows like ours when we talk about things like Palestine. That doesn't happen in corporate media. We know exactly what happens in corporate media. Uh, we all know Sunset Lake CBD is a farmer-owned company uh, that ships craft CBD products directly from their farm in Vermont to your door. Sunset Lake CBD has all types of products for, for everyone, whether it's tinctures or salves or or, uh, or gummies, or coffee, or lotion, or dog biscuits to chill out your anxious dog like Bijou. Uh, they took a farm in Vermont, the Ben and Jerry's farm, the Ben and Jerry's farm, so lots of progressive juju there. And they decided to diversify and grow premium hemp there. Uh, when you support Sunset Lake CBD, you are supporting sustainable agriculture that enhances these rural communities that have just been under so much austerity. Uh, and they create meaningful employment in those communities. And they do things like have an actual livable minimum wage at $15 an hour, and the employees own the majority of the company. On top of all that, they support shows like ours and David Pakman's and the Majority Report. They've got some good, you know, good values there. Uh, but Go check them out because they have a new product. They have CBD dog biscuits. Sam Cedar ate them. So if you are into dog biscuits, uh, it's only peanut butter, pumpkin, and oat flour. You can try them out or you can have your 
four-legged friend try it out. <laughs> Um, I have been doing a lot, like I was very stressed out yesterday and I didn't even put the tincture in my coffee or my tea or my water. I just dropped it in my mouth. Um, I had, I, I had a very stressful day yesterday. I have a lot of stress going on right now because we're doing the, the documentary and like, I'm just always like, if somebody's late, then it just like has that domino effect. And I mean, look at me, I never wear a blazer and I'm wearing a blazer right now because I had a meeting before <laughs> my hair is back. I didn't even get show ready. Oh gosh, there's there's worse things in life. Producer Dorsey. <laughs> I was gonna say I, I like to uh, I've been making uh, a little like cocktail at the end of the night before I go to bed of the tincture, and I like to have a little apple cider vinegar Ooh. before I go to bed. And the taste with it together is it's kind of nice if I dilute it with enough water. You know, it's like a kind of like a a little switchel at the end of the night. So Ooh, that's, that's, look at that's that. my current. Uh, my current little cocktail. What does the apple cider vinegar do? Um, it's just, it's good for your gut. It kind of like restores and helps with the digestion after, you know, dinner or whatever, you know, at the end of the night before I go to bed, just go ahead and have that. And, you know, don't have any, any kind of like ingestion while I'm sleeping or any, it, I, I have a lot of heartburn too. It seems to help with that, which is oh. crazy. Cause it's like, it's a vinegar, which is acidy, but you know, it just, it works in the gut. So anyway, that with the tincture, I'm just like, hmm, I'm feeling pretty huh. good. Well, cocktail hour. Oh, yeah. Minus the cocktail. Well, I like yeah, it. you know, I, I guess I guess you could you can make it into a cocktail somehow. Probably just with vodka, but yeah, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna go with the the, uh, like the teetotaler version. I'm inspired. I'm having a date with myself tonight. I literally put it on the calendar because I have so much. I just was like, I can't be around people. I can't be distracted. I just need to be like alone with my thoughts and catching up on work basically. But I've like, I'm, I'm making myself, I'm like literally making a date with myself. I'm going to make myself like a big meal. So now I'm inspired to have a CBD cocktail, mocktail, I guess. No, I'll yeah, probably, that's have, I'll probably put it. alcohol in it too. It'll go with anything, I'm sure. Let's be know. real. I'm going to put CBD in my wine. <laughs> like, I mean, if it's making my uh, apple cider vinegar taste good, it'll it'll taste pretty good with anything, I'm sure. I will report back to you. Let's see what the mix of Malbec and CBD tastes like. I can't wait to hear. Maybe I'll try it. <laughs> okay, next week we'll talk about that. <laughs> All right, guys. Go to sunsetlakecbd.com and type in Nomi, N-O-M-I. You get 20% off of your entire order all of the products we've tried, we love. I have joint pains, aches and pains. Go check out their salve. I, I use it all the time. Uh, the gummies help you to sleep. Everything is fantastic. It's high quality. It's not like the bodega CBD that I was buying before and I didn't like. This is great stuff and affordable. And of course, if you go to sunsetlakecbd.com and type in Nomi, N-O-M-I, you get 20% off of your entire order. Yay. It's Fun Friday. We have a panel here. All right, let's take a really quick break um, and we'll be right back with our amazing panel of Hadastir and Julie Rock. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Fem Friday. We have Julia Rock. She's a reporter with The Daily Poster. Go check out and subscribe to The Daily Poster. It was created by David Sirota. It's a grassroots, grassroots funded investigative journalism project, uh, journalism project that covers politics, business, and corporate power. I read it every day. And Hadas Thier is joining us. She is the author of A People's Guide to Capitalism, an introduction to Marxist economics. And she is a regular contributor to Jacobin and a member of DSA Brooklyn. All right, it's Fem Friday. Um, Texas is real effed up. 
okay, you fight, you missed your first period. You don't want to keep the baby. Oh, well, you got it. No matter what. Uh, let's play this clip of Governor Greg Abbott, just a champion of rights and freedom, freedom, all that kind of freedom. It's on mute, Dorsey. Sound. Hold up one second. Let's try that again. Oops, still can't hear. Got a little glitchy glitch today. The sound. You mean well, just a second? I'm not sure what's going on here. Sorry about that. All good. I mean, do we really even need the sound? We know what he did. He signed the he signed the law. The guy's a fascist. Uh, all right, let's let's start with Hadas. What does this mean? Um, this is the 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 law in uh, Texas around abortion rights. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think um, obviously it's it's outrageous and disgusting and not surprising but um but it, it, it's um it's terrible news for women in texas and it's terrible news um for women around the country because this is part of an overall trend um this is part of the right wanting to overturn roe versus wade um and i think it's also part of a trend of you know the republicans don't have much of a leg to stand on around economic issues right now because stimulus spending is so popular and you know, infrastructure spending is so popular. And I think we're going to just see so much of this, you know, just attacks on women, attack on abortion rights, attacks on trans people. Um, that's where they feel like they have the ability to mobilize their base. Uh, and they're just going for broke right now. Um, and I think, um, yeah, it's, it's disgusting. And we need to, you know, figure out how to, how to fight for it tooth and, you know, fight for abortion rights, full abortion rights, uh, tooth and nail. It's so interesting you say that because, um, you know, if if they hadn't gerrymandered the hell out of, of the country and had and if the Democrats had like, you know, I don't know, maybe invested in states or something and tried to win state legislatures, it may not work. But it's 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 like the perfect storm of we make progress on all these other issues, these economic issues that we're trying to make a case for for, for decades. And suddenly the crises of this moment uh, created an opportunity for Democrats to actually, you know, do a little something. Um, but simultaneously, they're going hard right on these other issues that they've created this perfect storm scenario for. Julia, I mean, when the Republicans are thinking so far into the future and um, it's not looking like we're going to be, you know, Democrats are going to win any and progressives are going to win back these legislatures anytime soon and that that redistricting is not going to be, you know, advantageous to us and we, you know, Democrats might lose the House uh, in the midterms. How do we fight this? And of course, the Supreme Court. How do we fight this while also dealing with, you know, the immediate crisis that we're we're facing? Yeah. No. I mean, I think a huge part of the story definitely is the Supreme Court and this um, <clears throat> hearing on a case that could overturn Roe v. Wade was kind of the impetus for this Texas legislation. And I think it's probably going to kind of bring into focus once again what Biden can do on the court and um, kind of the issue of Justice Breyer retiring while there is a Democrat in the White House and while Democrats have the Senate. Um, 
there there was some news i think it was last month about biden kind of setting up a commission to study court packing but that didn't that doesn't really you know setting up a commission doesn't really suggest any um action but i think that really is you know that was the big issue during the amy coney barrett confirmation hearings and and that is kind of what Democrats should be focusing on again when it comes to the court. It is kind of the only way to um, take back the Supreme Court. Otherwise, the conservatives have a really, really long stronghold. Do you think that this is sort of putting Biden in a corner where he's going to actually have to pressure uh, Cinema and Mansion to to end the filibuster? I, I mean, I just, I, I, there's certain wedge issues that are so strong and meet with mainstream Democrats that it seems like they're they just. There's nowhere to hide. Like some, Biden's got to step up. Schumer's got to step up. And it, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see like what kind of political dynamics you guys think have to play out to be able to get Mansion and, and Cinema to act like Democrats. Do you mean on on abortion or on the Supreme Court? Or just on everything. On everything. On on all these democratic reforms that need to happen so that you know, we, we can, these fights the Democrats have been fighting and using as their own wedge issues for 40 years suddenly are at risk. And, you know, people beyond the progressive base and people beyond the progressive centrist base, but really like the centrist Democrats, the normies uh, are not gonna be willing to stand for this. And, and they're, they're becoming um, awakened. So there's a moment where, you know, don't you think they're gonna say, Biden, step up, this is your party. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it I think he's certainly getting a lot of uh, pressure from progressives within the party um, to kind of take action on on these reforms like HR one that you know won't pass unless um, Democrats eliminate the filibuster. And I think that is you know something they're going to have to turn up the heat on. Um, it does seem like Mansion is you know maybe open to something like filibuster reform, but but isn't budging on HR one, which is that um, voting rights reform legislation, which is pretty alarming. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of it is going to have to come um, from progressives who are already elected to Congress or kind of from the progressive base outside of Washington. Hadass, do you think that that's, that's it? Is, it? is Are the progressive base enough? Well, that definitely has to be the starting, the starting point because it's actually, you know, the centrist Democrats have been terrible on these issues. It's not just that they're not putting up, they haven't put up enough of a fight. It's that they have been part of rolling back abortion rights and not standing up uh, to all the incremental attacks on abortion rights over the last couple of decades. Um, they've rolled over on it again and again. And so they've really disarmed themselves. And a lot of the kind of liberal wing of the feminist movement has been disarmed along with them. You know, the backtracking on, you know, instead of saying, you know, actually abortion without apologies free abortion on demand, the kind of things that we saw at the height of the women's rights movement. Um, you know, it's basically abortion with apologies um, mm. and that, you know, we want to make abortion, uh, what is it, uh, legal, legal and rare, or I can't remember the, 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 the motto, but it's, you know, basically to, to backtrack on the issue, uh, you know, on the morality of the issue or what have you. Um, and to try to fight, tinker around the edges to, to maintain, you know, some kind of abortion rights or the facade of abortion rights. Um, and so there's been a real, you know, shift uh, to the right in, in the, in the, in the in, you know, in the Democratic Party, in the mainstream of the Democratic Party. And so it's going to have to come from the more progressive wing. And I think, you know, the, the good thing for, for the left right now is that Biden is 
dependent on the progressives in a way that he hasn't been in the past. So things that I never would have expected uh, to be possible are showing to be possibly possible. So, you know, I, I, I think that there, there is possibility there, um, you know, but it has to be organized. I wanna shift gears real quick because uh, <laughs> the Republican party um, is, I wouldn't say in disarray, but beholden to a base of total nutcases. Uh, you know, every form of a denier slash, you know, uh, insurrectionist insider, et cetera. Um, the View, it was fun Friday, so this is when we put up our View clips because they're just so enjoyable to assess. <laughs> there was a little bit of a debate between Meghan McCain, um, who I think thinks of herself as, as, as the leader of the old school Republican Party, I guess, uh, and Joy Behar, who, <laughs> I don't know, is a comedian. Let's play this clip. <laughs> Why Can I please ask Meghan a question? Sure. Can I ask you a question, Meghan? Because I'm really, you're right. You know more about what's going on in your isn't party that, than my, I do. My, my sister-in-law is an advisor on. to Kevin McCarthy. I have a lot of friends and family who work on Capitol Hill. Like a lot. Hold on. Yeah. So okay, what's the I'm question? Not, I'm yeah. not, a, sure. hold on. My question is, if it's not the Republican Party, shall I call it the QAnon Party? What shall I call your party now? Who defends people like Matt Gates and goes against Liz Cheney? What are we supposed to call it? I think you can call it whatever you Explain want because me, your please. influence in the Republican Party is almost zero. And again, as I've said on this show, it is for us to figure really? out amongst ourselves. What Republican is like, mm, Joy Behar doesn't like my party? Oh, God, I better stop voting for them now. You know I what, mean, really, Megan, the same hold way, on, I have hold no on. influence on Megan, the left. I don't think at least. Yes, but you often, you often on this show give your opinion of what the Democrats should be doing yes, with themselves you said, to better you themselves. Said, but you said that people on Capitol Hill, you said people on Capitol Hill are supporting him. I'm telling you from people that I know personally, they are embarrassed. This is embarrassing for the Republican Party. Okay, then why don't they get rid of him? They should, because why I think, don't they get they him have, off his committee? Because they have to, they have to uh, convict him or whatever. I'm not a lawyer. They have to, what is it? They have to, yeah. get, the, the police have to arrest him. I don't know enough about it, but like they have to arrest him and charge him. That's well, why he's still in Congress. They didn't have any problem. They didn't have any problem taking okay, guys, Liz Cheney off her committees gonna, without any further investigation. I'm gonna, Liz Cheney, but that's a different thing. Liz Cheney wasn't on the committee. She was the third-ranking member. And she Suddenly, they need to... Okay, proof. here's what I'm going to do. Sonny has a legal that note that she needs to read right now. Is, so, Sonny, would you do me a favor, please, and read you your legal note? Every single note? day. Every single day. I do have a legal note. Legal... Oh, All right, God. we're going well, to break. Okay, so this is entertaining, of course, for people who like to watch spectator sports. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the reality is, is that this, as much as the Republican Party is not our party, uh, we should be concerned that like they can't keep their house in order in some ways because, uh, you know, with the fact that there might not be a commission about the, the, the fact that they like, lynched the vice president in January and that they're, I, I, I started off the show talking about how I was on Fox News and uh, they were having this conversation about they're, they're they're like trying to take the COVID fight, right? They don't want the COVID fight to end. Now that COVID, you know, people are getting vaccines. They're now making it about, oh, big pharma wants to make money off of vaccines. So don't take the vaccine. They just want to continue this fight to keep their base alive. But the reality is, is this base is holding us completely hostage as a country, especially when when Kevin McCarthy and 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 McConnell, you know, are letting it happen. Um, so my question is, what if we created a map? of the craziest effing Republicans and just targeted the hell out of them. Are the progressives spending too much time 
for not enough time taking on these QAnon nutcases. I mean, obviously AOC has had her own little things in Congress with them, but are we not spending enough time focusing on that? Are we too distracted or, or are we, where are we in terms of our ener energy? Um, do we think, that, are, are, we, are we taking them seriously enough, I guess is, is the question, Hadas. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, you know, I, I think it, I think you're right that we need to absolutely take um, the QAnon uh, forces and so on seriously. We need to figure out what our approach is. Um, I would say, you know, I think that the fact that the at sort of at the top of the Republican Party that they're falling apart uh, is, is is probably a, a positive development. It's a it's a good thing because the weaker the Republican Party is. Um, the more that it opens up space actually for progressives within the Democratic Party, because you no longer have this like the boogeyman of a strong Republican Party. Um, so you can fight harder within primaries, et cetera. Um, I think that the, the Republican Party being a mess uh, and kind of falling in on itself is overall a positive development. But I think that the left needs to you know, not necessarily not address itself to the like hard right and the QAnon folks, but I think needs to address itself to people that have been disaffected by the status quo and that have, you know, um, shifted rightward. I mean, some of the profiles of the people that took play took part in the Capitol Hill um, insurrection that they actually, you know, they they weren't surprise surprise born right wingers. You know, I mean, people who were. Um, the union members, people who were organized, I mean, all sorts of folks that have been, you know, really disillusioned, disempowered, um, you know, et cetera, over the last umpteen years. And, oh, and, and, the, and the left has not provided enough of, of an alternative. Now that's beginning to change, um, but I think that's sort of what we need to, we need to have like much more aggressive posture about you know what our vision is that we're putting forward and what do we put forward as an alternative um, to um, to those sort of like crazy right-wing conspiracy theories the the bolder our vision and the more clarity that we have on our side the more it disarms um, you know the the appeal of the the you know right-wing uh, conspiracy theories can you unbrainwash them though after, after, after they've gone down that rabbit hole, and, and Julia and also either one, can you, you can jump in? I mean, yeah, I would agree with all, all of the points that Hadas just made and kind of circle back to something um, that I think you said earlier on about Biden's stimulus being really, you know, the American Rescue Plan stimulus being really popular. And I just think that like from a governing perspective, um, Biden, you know, and, and the Democrats really have an opportunity to be passing policies that are really popular to the types of people um, who also might be kind of getting washed up in these theories. So, you know, I don't really know anything about kind of talking people out of a conspiracy theory, but I think that in terms of like building a base of popular support and kind of uh, achieving the ultimate goal of, you know, defeating the Republican Party, um, that policies, you know, that put cash in people's pockets and lift people out of poverty, you know, that's what is going to build a broader base of support among um, the Democrats and kind of pull people away from those, you know, compelling uh, uh, conspiracy theories that kind of explain, you know, what has gone wrong in in politics and in the world. Great, yeah, I, Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Adas, go ahead. 
No, and I, and I was just going to say, I, I agree with that, all that. And I would just add to, you know, on, around a lot of these issues, you know, there's like people that are super hardened and like, yeah, it's hard to imagine exactly how that would unravel, but there's a lot of people in between, you know, there's a lot of, you know, anti-vax sentiment is not the just on the right, you know, I mean, it's, there's a lot of skepticism and there's a lot of um, fear and there's a lot of, uh, you know, understandable uh, skepticism, obviously of the pharmaceutical industry, but also the role of the government and health concerns and around, you know, the the history of what this government has done um, in relation to um, people of color, um, African-American people, you know, all, all of those things, like we need to push for really widespread education campaigns that should be coming through community organizations and schools and churches, et cetera. Like we need to um, be pushing for uh, really like an an aggressive and um, um, approach that doesn't just write people off, um, you know, but actually tries to win over uh, people to, around these kinds of positions. It's a really great pivot because I, I just want to end on one thing. Um, my favorite person to take on is Joe Rogan because he has the largest podcast in the world and he uh, got a <laughs> several hundreds of millions of dollars to put this podcast on by Spotify. So it is not a small podcast. He may not call himself a journalist. He may say it's his opinions, but he has a huge, uh, he, his platform is so influential. And, and I think, um, you know, before we show the story that, that, that he, the, he's always in the news for saying something provocative, obviously, but, but around the vaccine, so I mean, that's, that's a perfect example. If Joe Rogan, maybe he's being influenced by someone that I'm not aware of, but if he were to be, I don't know, lobbied by folks in the science, and <laughs> if, if, if Dr. Fauci had maybe like called him up or somebody else who, who has more information and really worked with him or even went on the show to talk him through uh, some of his beliefs surrounding um, started with masks when he was, you know, he had Elon Musk on and they didn't really trust that COVID, had, COVID was a real thing uh, and that masks worked. And now it's, it's about the vaccine. But, you know, this is problematic because on one hand, there is this, this in-between space. I don't know what they are. They're, they're, maybe they're libertarian, maybe they're not, where they're pulling people from the left in and maybe sucking them in as a, it's like a pipeline to the conspiracy theorists. I don't know how many people end up there. But at the same time, the government could be doing a much better job of of pressuring pharmaceutical companies to maybe put their money into research and development instead of you know stock buybacks but also getting the message out like you said to to communities that should not and and have rightful reason not to trust the government because of what they've been doing um but also you know these folks so let's let's just show this uh joe rogan because there's also the the (laughs) you can never be woke enough that's the problem it keeps going it keeps right. going further and further and further down the line. And if you get that to the point where you capitulate, where you agree to all these demands, it will eventually get to straight white men are not allowed to talk. Right. Because it's your privilege to express yourself when other people of color have been silenced throughout history. It, it will be you're not allowed to go outside because so many people were imprisoned for so many years. I mean, I'm not joking. No, I, I know. I know. So we do this show on Fridays because the majority of the left political YouTube, and I don't even know what the right is, is male. When I say male, I mean like 80%, 80-90%. So we want to have these conversations, and this is our most popular show, um, which is awesome, but so that we can have these conversations because that is the norm. 
like, let's just put this out. Fox News, which has, we have a lot of reasons to criticize. Fox News at least has female hosts. They at least have a split audience. But these spaces now do not. They are overwhelmingly male dominated. They're overwhelmingly male hosted, watched, and they're shifting the conversation into the mainstream. So, you know, Julia, you know, what, what I love about the Daily Post is you guys do cover big tech and you do talk about these issues. Are we, where are we? In, and I mean, I know there've been hearings about taking on uh, big tech in terms of, of, of their power, but are we having enough of the conversation around just the insurrection obviously is one example and QAnon is one example, but even just equity and, and who's, who's watching, who's shifting the conversations, who's on air, who's making the money um, there was the woman who was, who was hired by Google to address the algorithm and then was fired as soon as she said it's racist and it's sexist. Julie, what's your take? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're, they're kind of the, <clears throat> some of the problems you're describing in media right now and then, and then some of the problems, you know, about kind of big tech consolidation. Um, I think it's, you know, it's been really interesting and kind of disheartening week in media for thinking about this type of thing. You know, there was the example of um, Chris Cuomo partaking in really blatantly unethical behavior and kind of not not being reprimanded. And then a really young journalist at the Associated Press um, losing her job for being affiliated and organizing with students for justice in Palestine um, as a college student. And I think, you know, those those kind of inequities that take place along gender and race lines and kind of specifically around the issue of Israel and Palestine um, are, are kind of massive problems for media and definitely what we're hoping to kind of fight against at the Daily Poster um, being, you know, funded by readers and subscribers and kind of holding ourselves to standards that aren't, aren't simply, you know, present both sides of every issue as the same. Um, I think it definitely is related to a, the issue you're talking about of, of consolidation um, in the tech industry as well. But I, I kind of do think that that the way to fight back is just to be building better institutions um, and to be, you know, bringing people in, you know, whether it's through their workplaces, through organizing um, or, you know, through religious institutions or other means that people are already kind of involved in um, and, and, you know, presenting better information. Um, but honestly, yeah, it, it was a really disheartening week and I'm not sure I have that many answers right now. I mean, as somebody who's building an institution, it is an uphill battle. I, you know, when I did cable news, our ratings were sort, I knew which segments I was on. It wasn't about me. It was about, we knew exactly what worked and didn't. And then when you come into these, these, these spaces with the algorithms, you're on the left, you're a woman, you're a person of color. How nice, how nice of you to join. Meanwhile, Ben Shapiro and his squeaky voice and his conspiracy theories and Dan Bogino, whatever, can dominate these spaces and make millions, literally millions of dollars a month. Um, but also, I mean, it's, is it just about institutions? Like there, there has to be a point where, I mean, I'm listening to some of these hearings on Capitol Hill and I'm like, okay, cool. Now they finally understand that the internet works. It's a thing. Congratulations. By the time they catch up, I mean, they literally went to Congress to kill them and they're still like, well, you know, Facebook does donate a lot of money to my campaign. Yeah, I mean, I think, um... I think it's a, it's a long slog and I think it's all connected. Like you're saying, you know, it's like, 
there's the role of of big tech and you know there's the we, we have the pretense in social media of like there's some way to get around like the major news outlets it's not all about fox anymore etc um but then you know we have private companies that are you know run by all sorts of conservative forces and so on and they they are completely unaccountable and um and um you know there's no transparency uh, you know, these things really should be considered public goods, um, you know, that, sh that should be under public scrutiny, um, you know, and, and so you have, you have all of that going on and you have, you know, all of the, um, uh, you know, economic realities um, where uh, women are being left out of the workforce or leaving the workforce or still getting paid um, you know, 82 cents to the man's dollar, or even more so um, when you start talking about um, around racial lines, black women, um, or the differences between moms and dads, all of that, you know, you, you know, you know, the whole, um, the whole list of things, but, you know, we're up and, and we started out by talking about the attack on abortion rights, like, we are up against a fundamentally, you know, sexist society and infrastructures, it's a, it's a long slog. Um, and it's going to require us, you know, fighting at, at every level. And I think, there's 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 windows and there's pockets um, of of change that we can really get behind. And you know, you mentioned about you know the what, what's happening on Capitol Hill. You know, I was incredibly inspired last week to see the discussion about Palestine um, led by Rashida Tlaib and AOC and Ilhan Omar, Cory Bush, all of these folks. You know that are you know these are not these are women. Um, these are working class women and, um, you know, these are uh, women of color who were absolutely not groomed to take power. You know, they are the opposite of having been groomed to take power. They're getting a lot, a lot of uh, heat for it, um, especially from, from the right. But, you know, we have a real um, opening and opportunity there to, to, to support that, to build solidarity, to push for more. Um, you know, I think it's a, it's part of a whole picture that needs to be tackled. All right. Final thoughts, Julia, having final thoughts. I, uh, I'm not going to follow that. I think those are great points. <laughs> Agreed. More working class women in office, uh, less Joe Rogan, more working class women. And, uh, is there a, does anybody know if there's any sort of DSA organizing around challenging big tech? Because I feel like this is worse than like the seventies. <laughs> you know, that's a very good question that I, I wish I knew the answer to. And I'm, I'm not sure. It. Yeah. I'll look into it, but definitely. definitely needs to be more organizing. Julie Rock, thanks for joining us. Go check out the Daily Poster, Hadass Thier. She is an, she's an amazing activist with DSA Brooklyn, but she's also the author of A People's Guide to Capitalism and Introduction to Marxist Economics. I think I told you my friend's 13 year old daughter uh, was reading it. That is so awesome. I know I was like, oh man. <laughs> Shooting Chomsky too. I'm like, no, you gotta wait. Like you have to, have to mature your thoughts a little bit first. But I would gladly go on any reading list alongside of Chomsky. Uh, yes, that's, <laughs> that's very good. Thirteen year old reading list. All right, thank you guys so much for joining us um, for Fem Friday. We have a couple of shout outs. Let me go through here really quick. Okay, who do we have here? Ken M. You are such a giver, Ken. Thank you so much for all of your love. Uh, Yog Greghoff says, does Nomi like Barbera wine? I just got into it. I do like Barbera wine. Um, 
am I going to go on my wine rant? Okay. All of the servers of the world that ever have to serve me, being a former server, I understand, and a bartender, <laughs> a cocktail waitress. Um, I am really particular with alcohol. And it's because as I get older, if I mix, I get incredible migraines, which is, I get migraines already, which I think a lot of you know, but then they get really, really bad if I mix. And I could just have like two glasses or I can't even go on a wine tasting anymore because if I mix blends, if I mix uh, white and red, I get really bad migraines. So I'm always the driver. But um, I, in particular with wines, which is my choice, uh, my alcohol choice normally, I stick with certain regions. And Italian can be hit or miss. I like Barbera. I like um, Barbera is great. Uh, what's the other one I really like from Italy? Oh my God, I'm losing it right now. But I tend to drink, Malbecs are the most drinkable. Carboneras are incredibly drinkable for me. I don't get headaches. And it's because of how, um, unfortunately, like it's, I don't drink any US wines. I'm sorry, US, it's it's the worst, but it has to do with not just the sulfites, but the uh, pesticides and how it, the water sources work. And um, they've banned a bunch of this stuff in, in different parts of the world. So Spanish I do well with, um, South African I do well with. I, I can't believe I'm doing this right now. Chilean I do well with. Uh, <laughs> uh, basically anything in South America I do pretty well with. Um, South African, I said, New Zealand, uh, Spanish, some parts of Italy, but not all. French, no thank you. Greek, I do when I'm in Greece, but honestly, I don't do great with them either. I think that's pretty much it. Am I missing anything? I don't know what Dorsey probably does know. Oh, Turkish wines are actually really good as a Greek. Don't tell anybody I said that. All right, that's enough about the wine, but I could, we could do a whole segment on wine. All right, Alex Orlowski says, there should be a modern garbage people of the week segment, mo modern garbage people of the week segment on the show, solely covering Joe Rogan toxic masculine gas. I'm gonna, you know what, we should do this because I'm not, you know, people are like, oh, Joe's not, you know, he's not, he has the most popular podcast in the world. The amount of attention people focus on Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity, not enough is on Joe Rogan, who, what he said is insane. And just because he says something a little bit more like left one day of the week or has somebody who's leftist or normie on, another, it's, it's a slow roll. It's an indoctrination program. Not to mention that these spaces are completely undemocratic. And like, this is a major crisis. When Fox News is more democratic than, than I, come on, at least they, I, yes, I, I, we'll think about that. All right, Craven James says, Joe had to say, I'm not joking in that clip because none of his jokes have ever been funny. <laughs> yes, that's because of the steroids. Um, shout out, shout outs to everyone in that live chat. Thank you so much. Uh, there were quite a bit of trolls out today, and not just about our show, I think Majority Report also had them. So thank you to all of our moderators. Thank you to the uh, the algorithm patrollers. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, and make sure, if you are not already, to like and subscribe on our channel on YouTube. And of course, as always, join us on patreon.com slash the show. Tune in Monday. Episode four of the committee program is on. You can check out the previous episodes Monday, 3 p.m. Eastern on YouTube and Twitch uh, till 6 p.m. It's incredible. They've been up to some really good stuff. Go check them out on social media. Check us out on social media as well, as you know. And with that, have a wonderful weekend. And as always, stay in solidarity.